Hello, I'm Laura Serrant and welcome to my podcast, Speaking for Ourselves. This is one in a series of these podcasts. Speaking for Ourselves is about listening to the voices and the stories of the people who influence us. Speaking to Ourselves is also about listening to our own stories and our own voices and the importance of being heard. I hope you enjoy the podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Robert Green. Hi. Hi, Robert. Thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks. Right. So do you want me to call you Robert or do you want me to call you Rob? I suppose you should probably call me Rob (laughs) (laughs) as an artist. But obviously, as my mother, you call me Robert all the time. (laughs) I do call you Robert all the time. So I'll try to remember that as we speak, (laughs) as we speak today. So, right then, um, today in our podcast, Speaking for Ourselves, um, I'm with my son, Robert Green. Hey! Well-known artist, all-round entrepreneur, <laughs> and occasionally uh, well-behaved son. <laughs> um, today, in Speaking for Ourselves, we're talking about stories worth telling. Those stories of ourselves and the things that we share with other people. Mm. So before we start, Speaking for Ourselves, stories worth telling. Can I ask you, Robert, who is Robert Green and what does speaking for ourselves mean to you? Well, good question. Um, I guess the way I've been defining myself most recently, and I think as we as we get older, we, we redefine ourselves many times, don't we? So at the moment, the way I define myself is uh, as an artist, uh, as a writer and um, as somebody who focuses on storytelling. Storytelling is really important to me. Um, and in terms of speaking for ourselves, I think that ties into into a lot of what I do. Um, as you know, um, I come from a very big family uh, with lots of experiences tied to that. Um, and there's a lot of experiences that I've had as an individual and as part of my family that have taught me about the power of uh, connection and support and mm-hmm. having the right people around you and also being understood and being uh, supported so to me that that sort of I guess uh, what, what that means to me is about community and about creating communities uh, and and creating support environments so that's sort of the underlying thing with everything that I do it's really interesting to hear you say that as an artist and you use many media, different media to express yourself as an artist. So telling stories, people think about just the oral. They just speak, think about the telling of a story, but you use different media. Tell me a little bit about how the different media that you use help you to tell your story. Well, um, at the minute, there's, uh, I... I'm a singer-songwriter, and in terms of telling stories on that format, they're very personal stories. I think um, in order to really be a good artist, you have to understand yourself a lot. And so songwriting is a means through which I can sort of explore myself and my identity and what I want to say. Um, Storytelling in other formats for me comes through, uh, I compose for musical theatre. I work predominantly with a theatre company called Sheep Soup and they focus on making musicals um, that sort of explore lesser explored topics 
let's say. Their first show was a comedy musical about a woman called Mrs. Green, no relation, <laughs> uh, who uh, self-medicates with marijuana. And it was sort of, um, she's sort of a pillar of the community and she used to be a singer. So uh, the other shows they've done, they've done one about that sort of explores the topic of grief. They've done one that, ex- the one we're working on at the moment, explores the subjects of hoarding, uh, which is now a recognized mental health condition in its own right. And so we do lots of research into the people behind those labels or those identities and how we can bring more awareness to those things. So for me, that's quite literal storytelling, if you like. Um, And then I'm also, uh, as you know, an actor, uh, a performer and a poet. And so for me, um, being able to find characters and stories that exist um, that you can embody and be a representative for is really, really important to me. More so now, I think, than than ever before. I think over this last year, we've had so many conversations about representation and about visibility mm-hmm. and what that means. Um, and so really, I've also been seeking to be present in a more public way, whether that's doing podcasts and interviews or... Um, Uh, playing characters, acting and performing as characters that we don't often get to see or meet uh, generally. And that that actually is really interesting because it it really links in with the whole idea of these podcasts, uh, stories worth telling, speaking for ourselves. They're built obviously around um, a lot of my work, as you know, is built around the idea of silences. And the silences are the spaces where voices are missing. Experiences are minimised or hidden. And where sometimes when you belong to a seldom heard or marginalised group, you're always searching for yourself to be heard, for something that looks like you or sounds like you or represents your story. So it's interesting to hear you speak about it in relation to different types of media. What inspires you to tell your story? Well, I think... I'm going to be really honest because it's me and you. <laughs> no one else is listening. There's just me and you. It's just yes. me and you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's something that I think about a lot when I'm writing music, when I'm preparing to perform, when I take on a new project and it's 14-year-old me. I think that I was very, <laughs> hopefully still am, an intelligent teenager Um, very ambitious, very passionate. Um, But as you know, also had a lot of struggles with with bullying at school and um, also with like sexual identity and orientation, Mm -hmm. which was a process that was happening for me. Um, As with all kinds of identity developments, I think it happens in two ways. It's people in your external environment can see it, maybe, or can see that you're struggling with something. But the internal journey is feels more isolating. And really, it doesn't matter how many wonderful people you have around you, that personal journey is still um, challenging. And, it, and, and in a way, it's meant to be, you know, because you're sort of forging yourself. So I think about 14-year-old me and about the things that I know that if I'd seen them and if I knew that certain people existed or that certain histories existed or certain uh, opportunities existed that it would have made me braver it might have made me feel more comfortable and so a lot for me I think about him and 
sort of how I can make sure that that experience isn't something that repeats in the future but actually is bettered or improved and I think we all have a role to play we owe that to ourselves anyway to improve the world if if just for the ourselves um so yeah that's I guess one of the places that I draw a lot of drive from when it comes to taking on something that scares me or taking a new route is always like well this is this is not for <laughs> me it's not just for me I should say you know it's for it's to move the conversation forward and that's really important and the other thing that inspires me is um is actually other other artwork and other people other people's expression I love talent and I love people's passions and you know we've talked about a lot how you know, it really doesn't matter what you're passionate about. You know, we've got people in our lives who do all kinds of different things. We've got mechanics in the family, electricians. We've got, uh, you know, people who are artists, people who are um, uh, academics. And the, the the overriding factor that's always come through for us is as long as you're doing something that you're passionate about, it's fine. And I think that we're very lucky to have had that. Um, but it's not a narrative that actually I've realised is very poppy. You don't hear that as much as you should. So a lot of the things that inspire me are, how can I get this message out of go for it, go for it, go for it? <laughs> so that's it. That I mean, that's true, really. I mean, I think it's it's really interesting how you, you talk about that passion, that push to tell a story, that internal drive, really, to be heard and to be seen, which is really, really important. What would you say to that 14-year-old younger self of you now about the journey towards being comfortable with telling your story? I think I would say... That's such a good question. I think I would say... I'm good say, at these questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like you've done this before. Um, Who'd have thought? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that you should embrace your instincts. Your instinct is something that happens on such a deep level. And in truth, I, I really believe that your instinct is older than you are. It's it's all your inherited experience and all your inherited um, genes. And, and also, it's all of your life experience condensed into simple uh, senses. And I think when you're a teenager and and the pressure is huge to change and edit fundamental things that are true about you in order to be invisible and it's so it's, it's frustrating actually a lot of teenagers who have wonderful talent and abilities they, they make their priority to mute it instead of allowing it to exist as it is so yeah I would be saying um that your instinct is natural your instinct to tell your story your instinct to um express yourself your emotional instincts they they are not something to be afraid of because they're not there to hurt you they're they're actually a reminder of who you are and you have to embrace those you have to embrace yes. that so yeah that's what i would say i think one of the things that always inspires me about you is your work with young people, young artists and people coming through. I know you've done work within universities and colleges, etc. Do you see the stories from the young people that you work with? Do you see their inner stories before they see them? Yeah, I think so. I think it comes down to instinct again. Um, you know, I've done 
like, like you say, I've worked in educational environments for, for years and obviously being brought up in uh, by you have been exposed to educational environments and as students um, pretty much my whole life. Um, and I've done gigs, lots and lots of gigs uh, to big crowds and small crowds and meeting people all around the country and around Europe performing. And, um, and I was a waiter for like 15 years nearly. Um, and in all of those environments, you develop, I think, a sort of sixth sense around personalities and people and, and you just develop sort of like an encyclopedia, I think, um, when you're somebody who deals with people regularly for what kind of person they are. And students are so interesting uh, especially in a university environment, but I think anybody who considers themselves a student, somebody who's learning, is that they've made a decision to to learn and improve something. And so they, and they think, oh, I'm going to learn about this subject. But actually in the process of learning and studying and being with new people, you're also learning about yourself and you're also discovering new things. So I think you do discover, you do sort of develop a sixth sense for, okay, that student has, clearly is in this place and uh, you can also tell, like, this person's had a gap year. This person has come straight from college into this environment. Or this person, I think, is carrying a lot of weight. I don't know what that weight necessarily is, but I can tell that they're coming with a lot of resource uh, to create or whatever that is. Um, and I think that when you sense that, it's all about how you support somebody in exploring it their way. Um, because you might be able to see, oh, this person's got this incredible resource or this really wonderful talent or this passion or whatever. But you want to make sure that it's something that they arrive at with their own petrol and yes. not something you're just pushing a stalled engine down the road, you know. So, um, yeah, I think you really can see that and sense that. And that's a key skill, isn't it? Enabling other people's stories to be heard mm. using their own voice and not and not your own. And a voice is quite a powerful tool, mm. isn't it, to be used one way or another. Mm. It's interesting to me, as I'm not a singer, um, <laughs> it's interesting to me to use the voice with music. Mm. Um, because music is such a, a powerful, emotional vehicle. Mm. How does music, in telling your stories, enhance your ability to tell your story or support other people to hear theirs? Um, with music, music, I think, is something that even now we can't fully explain how we are so connected to it, but we are. From a young age, most people can have are exposed to music and it connects with them on a deep level. What's wonderful about being able to express yourself through music is that you aren't limited only by um, the words you use or the inflections that you use to say those words. But you can also use the music as a language within itself to support what you're trying to say. And what I like to think of it as is you're creating uh, a world for your voice to exist in when you're creating a song. So when I work with new songwriters, because I do a lot of co-writing, I'm always like, we should think about the, the track that we're writing as a planet. If we were designing a planet, you know, the verses are like the details. The chorus is the overall feel of the planet. Is it a hot planet? Is it a cool planet? Is it a, is it all water? Is it all, which I realise are quite abstract ways to talk about music, but um, a lot of the times writers get bogged down into the language 
what words am I using? How cool can this hook be? And they don't think as much about the feel. The feel is really important. So being able to communicate that way is, it is like learning a language. And uh, learning an instrument is learning a language. Learning to read music is learning a language. And you're just, and they inform each other. I'm always impressed by dancers. What they do with music is completely different to what a singer does with music. But it's so interesting. Uh, I did this show, which you've seen, the Windrush Movement of the People, which was by Phoenix Dance Theatre. Christella Litras, who we both know, composed the music. And I was singing in the show. So we had live singers, a band, and an incredibly highly skilled dance company. And the energy between us all performing on stage to tell the story of a generation that, although many people of, many of us on stage know that generation, you know, they're our grandparents or um, our grandparents' generation, um, we were exploring the emotions of that story through all of our different languages and seeing how they fit together. And in those moments, you really see how music can bind art forms and bring people together in a beautiful way. And also you wrote uh, poetry and, and, and yes. a wonderful spoken word piece for that show that was put to music that we danced to. We, I didn't dance. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't remember you dancing actually. No, yes. no, no, you would remember as well if I did. Uh, yeah, Traumatising. <laughs> but yeah, the, um, you know, seeing how all these things inform each other. And that's what I'm really interested in is collaboration. How do different art forms touch each other and support each other? So. And in all your, the experiences that you've had working around music, with music, with artists, and you've done that here in the UK, but you've also done that overseas. I remember, I can't remember whether it was last year, year before, last year, no, we didn't go anywhere last year. <laughs> but um, the year before, um, you went over to Canada and you worked with um, young artists there as well. Mm. In, do you think the stories travel? Are stories of a place? Mm. Or do you think they travel? Did you see similar stories when you were in Canada and working overseas? And you have worked overseas in, in mm. with various artists. What's interesting with the Canada project was um, uh, we went obviously to uh, Canada, went to Toronto to work with a, a drama school, Sheridan College, on developing this musical about hoarding that I mentioned earlier. What's interesting about um, taking a story that is inherently English, it's a British northern character, I say northern, from the Midlands, uh, character with a very specific accent, a very specific cultural references, language. You know, uh, the main character is uh, in her 60s and she uses, so she's also using words that are of her life and generation. journey. Yeah, yes. and her generation. So it's so interesting taking that into a brand new culture um stories i believe do travel into new environments um and actually i think they are improved by being taken into a new environment because we took we suddenly had to start thinking about the meanings of words that we take for granted mm -hmm. um and how we use them i'll tell you this this is one of my prime examples is when i greet people um and when we greet people here in in england we might say, oh, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, and that's really just like a hello. It's like a greeting. Uh, and uh, I had a series of, as part of this uh, development, I had a day with the Canadian students, one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions where I was working with them on their vocals, uh, pop vocals, because it's something that they didn't get at the college in, in that way. 
And uh, they would come into the session and be like, you're right. And they would be answering my question with like really deep revelations. They'd be like, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm okay. I'm quite stressed at the moment because this, this. I'd be thinking, oh, okay. And you know, we'd have like a, f- a 30 minute session. The first 15 minutes was like therapy. And then we'd do some <laughs> vocal work. And I was thinking, this is quite deep. And then in, in my almost last session of the day, I'll never forget uh, a student uh, came in and I said, you're right. And she went, Rob, um, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. Do I give you? Do I keep giving you the impression that I'm unhappy? And I was like, No, not no, no, not at all. She goes, Because you keep asking me if I'm all right. And I was like, Yeah, I'm just saying hello. I'm just saying. Hello. <laughs> she went, Oh, and then she explained to me that they are receiving your right as a what's wrong, what's up. <laughs> So that's why I was just saying, I was thinking, I'm just saying hello. And these, these students are like unlocking their hearts to me. They're really like, and I was just, I was like, at the end of the day. So then the next day I said to them all, just to be clear, like I'm from Nottingham. When we say you're right, it's just, a, it's just a hello. You're welcome to open your heart, but don't feel like it's pressure to go deep. Um, and they all laughed. And that I think is wonderful because it's just a prime example of, taking your culture into another culture makes you really think about the Mm -hmm. language that you use and the power of it. And how you tell a story is the same thing. We go, oh, actually, what does this mean? What does it mean to be from Nottingham? Because this character, we've just gone, we're all from Nottingham, we've made the character from Nottingham, but now we're realizing, oh, this language is different. This will need explaining when this tours, this will need putting into context this language. So, yeah, there yeah. Is some, there's definitely something about lost in translation yeah, that, yeah, that, that can happen in, in that in that scenario. It's always a bit tricky, isn't it, where you're so clear in your head about what you mean. And then when, when the words come out or the words are received, there's something that tells you there's something broken here. Somewhere there's a disconnect in what's been transmitted and what's been received, mm. but you're not always quite clear where, where that is. I think that one of the one of the examples of that i think is um when you're you know in our family you know my sister helena um is very clear about what she means and sometimes she gets tied up into the words you know i might not have used the right words um we have loads of family members that like that but i use my sister as an example because um i think that the way that she expresses herself it's very different to the way Jack, my brother, expresses himself, the way I express myself. But we all understand each other's meaning. Um, and I think that that's a kind of acceptance that we've had that I think I've had to take, that I've taken into those environments. And I see it all the time. Um, we'll be collaborating with people, especially young young artists, but I, I, I have to say it happens to artists of all ages. Uh, the imposter syndrome, the fear of not being worthy of the room. Yes. People suddenly get very careful about what words they're using. They get really, or they don't use words at all. They don't dare speak. And so I think a lot of it is about creating an environment straight away where it's like, you don't have to say, we're going to focus on what you mean. We're going to focus on understanding each other. So mm-hmm. if you say something, you because also in this artwork, we're talking about hoarding. This is like something that um, it's, I think it's one in three people have a connection to somebody with hoarding or they have a hoarding issue themselves. We're talking about a very new concept in terms of the new way of looking at it. And you're probably going to say, something that's not quite right in this session or you're going to use an outdated 
piece of language or you're going to do whatever. In sessions where we're talking about race, in sessions where we're talking about sexual orientation, gender, in order for us to, to develop as artists and as people, um, we have to create environments where people can learn and make mistakes with the intention of understanding and developing. Um, because otherwise, we're not going to be able to identify what ignorances we're going to need to break down basically <laughs> if you don't bring your ignorance to the table we're not going to know you're you're we know you're not a malicious person we need to exactly so yeah exactly so i mean one of the things that always um i'm minded of is the importance for each of us to tell our story to say our view mm. in order that it can, it can be heard but also that in order other people can understand us better and we understand them. So it's almost like a trade-off. Mm. You know, we bring something to the table and mm. we exchange those experiences. Mm. Um, and partly, if we don't do that, often people feel that they speak for us. Mm. Yeah. And being spoken for is not always the most empowering feeling. Oh, massively. I mean, we have the, in musical theatre, especially in theatre especially but as you'll know in television in film um whereas so just to finish that sentence is we have a lot of incidences where maybe the front end has been diversified and you know there are actors of color there are actors of different orientations there are uh, people who are on screen that we're focusing on improving the the representation for but that representation historically has not been enacted into all of the back end of production which means that you might they might be casting a character that um can be any ethnicity they might say on a casting yes. but if you've got a casting director who is let's say a white male who's straight and cisgendered and perhaps isn't as aware of that they're going to have cognitive biases when they're casting you can you can very easily say any ethnicity but there's going to be little subconscious things in their brain that will say, oh, I think it's more this than that, or it's such and such a person. And um, one of the big conversations happening in, in that industry is how can we ensure that we have diversity and representation throughout so that we balance out cognitive bias and, and allow um, talent to rise to the surface always, no matter what. Um, and so, yeah, I think... Because you want to make sure that the story is authentic. Yes. Um, it doesn't mean that no... Well, from my perspective anyway, I don't think it means that you, you can only tell stories about things that you have experienced personally. I don't necessarily think that's true. But I do think that you should seek to authenticate your voice. Yes. And if you want to talk about something that you haven't experienced, then you have to get authentic voice in there. You have to... Um, make sure that you're not appropriating or guessing um and i think for us there's so much power there's so much power as art as songwriters you see when you're speaking for yourself um there's so much power in being able to stand on a stage and say i wrote this song about this thing that i care about and it means something to me and have an audience support and react to that music um, it makes you feel less invisible and it makes you feel more connected um, to your community and to your environment. Um, 
of all the the songs and the performances and the the you know the different genres that you've been involved with personally which experience would you say where you felt that the most that that in telling of your story mm. that almost the audience or the people receiving that have hooked into it from their mm. perspective um as you said it an immediate there was an immediate thing so i'm going to tell that thing which is um uh, a few years ago now i was doing a why not festival and i was booked to perform on the quarry stage which is a huge tent massive tent holds a couple of thousand people in it um it was, it's a bbc introducing stage dean jackson who i love hey dean you're amazing uh booked me onto that uh, stage I was performing at about one o'clock it was the second day of the festival and as you probably know most people are in bed at that time because they've stayed up partying all night so there wasn't a lot of people at the start of my set um I prepared this set list for weeks I was really excited to perform it and um because there weren't as many people there I kind of went I'm just gonna go for it just give them everything I've got and see what happens and what started happening was the tent was filling up filling up and it filled to capacity during wow. my set and there's one song um, which I wrote called Blue, which in the set was the, like second to last song or something. Blue is a song that I never thought I was going to write. It was about a relationship that didn't work out. Um, and there were a few issues in that relationship. And when I wrote that song, I wrote it for me. I wasn't really intending to record it. Um, and then eventually got talked into doing it and released the song as a single. So I was preparing to perform that song. The reason why I was so protective of that song is because it felt quite personal and it felt like a risk. If people rejected the song or hated the song, I actually felt that I would have felt a way about it. Yes. Whereas with other songs, I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah, we'll see what happens. So that was like <laughs> the first first real song that I felt I released that had a lot of, uh, really a lot of my heart in it. Yes. And I was performing the song and it's quite quiet. It's just me and a guitar. And it's thousands of people in this tent and it's completely silent at a festival. It never happens. Um, and there was this guy who I will never forget who stood right in front of me. He was stood next to his wife. Um, and the thing is, other people, his wife was actually crying in the song. There were some other people that were having obvious emotional reactions. But there was this guy in front of me who was completely shut down. There was no emotion that I could see on the surface. He was just wide-eyed and staring at me. And I finished the song. And it was a great show. It was amazing. I got a legitimate encore. I cried on stage because I was so overwhelmed. It was one of those. And then afterwards, I went to go um, sign EPs at the front. And he and his wife came up and his wife hugged me and she was pre-COVID, hugged me and was like, you know, that was so great. I loved it. Oh, it moved me so much. Really loved the show. And he didn't say anything. He just hugged me. But the wow. energy in the hug, mm. I just felt it. I'm feeling it now. Yeah, I just could. <laughs> I will never forget it. It's like, when I think about it, I can feel the energy of it. It was, and he just said, thanks, mate. That was it. And I... I just know that for me, that song helped me make sense of something that I felt at the time made no sense. And seeing somebody else clearly take something away from the song that means something to them just was the moment that I was like, we didn't talk about it. 
there wasn't much conversation about what happened, but I just felt it. And for me, I just think it was the thing that made me go, I've always got a right from this place now. Mm-hmm. I've always got to, because that is, I've never ha- felt like, never felt that before. Um, I should always be trying to create that feeling and always trying to share. And so the fear, so in a weird way since then, I haven't written songs unless I'm a little bit afraid of them, (laughs) of how they might be received. Because I think that fear is actually, it's my fear of being exposed and being vulnerable, but I think it's key in order to connect. I mean, that is a really, really powerful story. And it reminds me similarly of of that that moment when you realise that in exposing yourself, and not in the way that some people might think, but <laughs> exposing your thoughts yeah. and your almost like bearing your soul mm. almost becomes the life raft for somebody else. Yeah. And that is a real strong push there to, mm. to do that. And I think it's almost like a rite of passage, mm. you know, a, a rite of passage in terms of recognising um your your purpose and recognizing what you're there to do and the gift that your story can give mm. to somebody else that it's not just about you being heard but there is a purpose to the story too yeah i mean um you know uh, that when when we were younger you used to take us to the library near where we lived um and there was a book uh aesop's fables like a big visual yes um book for primary school children uh, I would think I was probably about nine eight at the time um and I loved Aesop's fables I loved... we did have that book out of the library a lot of times yes yeah. yeah I think we actually got fined a few times because I was like kept pretending that I'd forgotten it um that book the reason why I love Aesop's fables is because um there's so many ideals in it that come from the concept that both your struggles and your blessings are are able to be positive things for other people. And we shouldn't just assume that when bad things happen or things that we perceive to be bad, that they will always be bad or that they can only be bad things. The truth is, is I really believe that if as an artist, you have this real unique opportunity, uh, and not just as an artist, actually, just as a human being, in any environment where you deal with other people, you have the opportunity to take those negative experiences, um, those challenges, and turn them into lessons, turn them into um, stories of hope and and survival for other people. The truth is, is that no matter what's happened to you negatively up to this point, you have survived it. Like you're still here telling the story. That is incredible. It's incredible. And I think we, it sometimes can undervalue the the power of the everyday negatives, the power of the everyday <laughs> challenges. Um, we're so used to overcoming. That's the great thing about being a human being is that we see it as part of our life to just continue. Yes, We don't question it. It's like, yep, next thing, next thing. I really want to get to here. And those that resilience is innate. Um, and I think we sh- sharing it makes us all stronger. I agree. I agree totally. It's interesting you talk about moving on and phases and phasing Mm -hmm. that we go through. So what's your next phase? So my next phase is 
up to this point, I've predominantly focused on being a composer and a writer, songwriter. Um, I, this year, um, started a company in my grandmother's name, your mother's name, uh, Eudora uh, Media Productions, to focus on creating work that brings stories that are lesser told to the forefront. Um, Grandma was the the person who put me on a coffee table and made me sing to her. And I think that that's kind of what I want to do moving forward is who can I put on the coffee table and make them sing? I think that has to start with me. I have to start creating work that allows me to be vulnerable. And that, that I think should happen in my songwriting. But I'm also focusing on what stories exist that I can tell. I'm developing a musical with uh, Chrisella Litras about the Orishas, um, which are African uh, deities, spirits um, uh, from the Yoruba faith, which hasn't really been told uh, on in musical theatre, in classic musical theatre, um, but is totally suitable because it's influenced so many genres of music. Um, so I'm really looking forward to developing something along that line. Um, I'm working on the hoarding musical. Uh, I'm working uh, on working on acting and performance opportunities that tell stories that I'm really passionate about and I think don't get told often. So really, I've created that company to put the fire under myself and go, take the risk, go for it, um, throw yourself into it and don't edit yourself too much um, before you've even tried. <laughs> I love that phrase, don't edit yourself too much. Mm. Um, it, it reminds me when I think about silences where we, we are often edited out or people, stories, experiences are often edited out by mm. what's popular, what's powerful or what's acceptable. Mm. So not editing ourselves out is a good, good place to start. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is you're talking about moving your new, your new phase or your, the phase that you're in now and you're moving towards is... What three words would you use to describe you, where you are at the moment within mm. this phase? I would say the three words I would use are um, fear. I'm at the point of uh, really uh, doing something I've never done before and being a little bit intimidated by that. Uh, acceptance. I think part of being able to move forward is about being able to accept that where you are now is where you're supposed to be and everything that's happened has happened it's over it's not going to happen again it's over it's finished so uh, there's a freedom in acceptance and I think gratitude I think I'm at a really you know I'm 31 um and I think I spent my 30th year in 2020, which was a very interesting <laughs> year. But I think what was wonderful about being in lockdown, and I say wonderful, obviously, knowing that there are extreme negatives for some people because of COVID. But what I will say is one of the great blessings that has come out of it for me is genuinely having time to be gr grateful and reflect. Um, I think that prior to that, I was just next thing, next thing, next thing, always focusing on what my next task is, what my next goal is, what my next job is, traveling, tra you know, you know, and I know we've both spent a lot of time on trains. When I think about going back to the way that I worked before, I just think, I can't believe that I handled that. I mean, I did a hundred gigs in a single year. Like that's rid it's ridiculous. Like, like when I think about that, that's that's a lot. And I'm glad that I did those things. 
but I think what I've, the gratitude element that I'm at now is realizing that if you're always focused on where you're going, you're never going to appreciate where you are. You have to be able to be grateful for your journey and let go of the narrative. Let go of the story you tell yourself about how things should go, what should happen, mm-hmm. how it should happen, because that's only disappointment waiting to happen. Absolutely. Whereas actually just being able to accept, here we are, we're talking and we're talking about this, you know, we're having this wonderful conversation. This is great. And who knows what will come from this? Um, and then tomorrow we go and we we do something else. You know, I think that that there's a joy in being able to say, I am alive. Today is a new day. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still, still standing. standing. Yes. So yeah, fear, um, gratitude, and um, uh, acceptance. acceptance. Fear, acceptance, and gratitude. Mm. Three great words. Mm-hmm. So as we get coming towards the end of, of this wonderful talk, mm. one of the things that we have had during COVID is a much more silent world. And in that silent world, we've heard, it's enabled us to hear a lot of things that already exist, you Mm. know, we've, and also expose ourselves to a lot of things that already were there around the corner, down the street, because that's where we can go. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And, and in that silence, we have heard the world and ourselves speak to ourselves more. And that kind of links in with, um, you know, the hashtag that I use in a lot of my work is silence speaks. Mm. And silence speaks is a reflection of how when we stop and we listen and we take note, we hear the untold stories of ourselves, either through our own voice or as we've talked about today, through the voice of other people. So my question that I ask everybody on this podcast is, when you stop and you listen, what is your voice your silent voice inside telling you? I think when, when I've stopped and listened, when I stop and listen in the present moment, um, my inner voice is really a voice of um, wanting to be playful and try things and do things and go places. And um, it's actually a really free spirited voice. And I think that prior to the present moment and the lessons over the last year, I've always been a little bit afraid of that voice, not afraid of what it's crying out for, but afraid that if I indulge that voice that I could damage it with some, I could get it wrong somehow, <laughs> somehow get playing wrong. Um, and um, it's actually a protectiveness around that voice that I think without meaning to has suppressed it. There's a brilliant quote by Bertolt Brecht, which I only came across the other day, which is, we speak often of the violence of the river, but not the violence of the banks that contain it. And I just thought, that's it. That's what it is. Inside, I think we all have, I definitely have this this river, this flow, this thing that pushes me. And sometimes I try and control that so carefully. I try and like, let little bits of the river out bit by bit. That's not what it's designed to do. You're supposed to be in flow. 
so in my quieter moments which are rare but in my quieter <laughs> moments um I think that voice always comes through which is I want to do this let's go and do this and there's no fear to that voice and I think learning to allow that voice to to drive the car more often has never actually hurt me um so I'm learning to trust it more <laughs> great wonderful wonderful thoughts and feelings and I've really enjoyed this conversation me too, me too. so the final thing before we say goodbye is how can people contact you if people want to know read hear more or speak more to Rob Green mm. I did remember to say Rob yeah, at yeah. The end. <laughs> thanks mom <laughs> how can they do that so um if you wanted to get in contact you can email team at robgreenmusic.com uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter under Rob Green Music, or one word, green like the colour and Rob like the verb to steal. And um, yeah, and you can hear all of my music on uh, Spotify, Apple Music and every streaming platform, I think. And you just search Rob.Green. Thank you, Robert, for today. Thanks, Mom. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Laura Serrant, and you have been listening to my podcast, Speaking for Ourselves. We all have a voice, and we all have stories to tell. But if we don't use our own voices and tell our own stories, others will speak for us. And at best, they will mistell our stories. And at worst, they will render us silent. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.